In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. For the past three weeks, we've been in the season of Advent, a penitential season which anticipates the coming of our Lord Jesus. So many of us think of Advent as a pre-Christmas season in which we anticipate the coming of the Christ child in a lowly manger. Well, this is true, but in Advent we anticipate all the comings of our Lord. We anticipate the coming of our Lord in His return in triumph, in which He raises all the dead and ushers all baptized saints into new heaven and to new earth. So also, we anticipate the Lord's coming even today, when He comes to us in word and sacrament to give us the forgiveness of sins. But the anticipation of the Lord's coming is the very reason that Advent is a penitential season, so that we repent of our sins, so that when the Lord comes, He comes to us in grace, mercy, and love, and not in wrath or punishment as He does to those who will not repent. And so, in the season of Advent, it is good and right that we practice certain spiritual disciplines which we've been discussing here at Hope. In the season of Advent, we have been discussing spiritual disciplines such as oratio, prayer, meditatio, meditation, and repentance. These spiritual disciplines are great preparation in hearing the Lord in His coming in Advent. But you cannot have them without the fourth spiritual discipline, tentatio, which means spiritual affliction or, or spiritual suffering. Tentatio is the expected outcome from such spiritual disciplines, such as prayer and meditation and repentance. For when the Lord sees, or when this, when Satan sees you in such devout prayer, he wants to throw you off the track. It's as if you've, you've begun a new body workout and you go to the gym and you're running laps and you're lifting weights and you're working out. Tentatio is the soreness you feel all over your body after each workout. So it's no wonder that Pastor Wolf Mueller opted out of today's sermon and asked for a spiritual bodybuilder to come in for today's sermon. But when you find yourself steeped in prayer and meditation in the Lord's Word, and in constant repentance for your sins, the devil comes to try and sway you. He does this with certain accusations. But the more he tries, the more God uses it for our own good. You see, the more the devil throws accusations at us, the more we meditate on his word, and the more deeply and fiercely we pray. The devil, with our suffering, tries to drive us away from the Lord. But the Lord uses it for the exact opposite reason, to draw us closer to him. At least that's how it goes for Job. In our Old Testament reading this day, it was, it was God who said to Satan, Consider my servant Job. Satan proceeds to, to inflict Job with such terrible affliction. He covers him with, with terrible boils all over his body. And what does Job do? He refuses to curse God to his face. And in the midst of all of this, 
Job receives advice from his wife and from his friends to curse God and die. And this is a little bit how it happens even for us. Satan sees you, baptized into Christ, meditating on his word and praying to God as a a child talks to his dear father. And then Satan comes and says, this Christian only prays when, when things are good. But just wait until the hardships strike. We'll see if this Christian fears, loves, and trusts in God alone. And it happens. We experience the struggles and hardships of life. It's when the doctor's office calls and the blood work bears some bad news. It's when the mail arrives and the bills far outweigh the paychecks. It's when we become quite lonely in remembering those who have gone on before us. And suddenly, we are no longer meditating on the Lord's Word. Suddenly, prayer to God is the last thing on our minds. And all we can do is doubt if God is still there. And we wonder if God cares about us at all. I guess we didn't follow Job's lead. Instead, in the moment of temptation, our sinful flesh took over and we doubted whether or not God would continue to give us his daily bread. We did not fear love and trust in God above all things. Instead of trusting in him, we sinned against him. But that's the devil's M.O. He knows what sinners do. They sin. So when he wants to attack Christians, all he has to do is remind you of your sin. In the midst of suffering, the devil comes to you and says, God must be mad at you for something you've done. If you were a real Christian, you would never doubt the promises of God. If God is all-powerful and he really loved you, would he really put you through this? That's what the devil says. He's been playing that game for a very long time. In fact, one of Luther's best friends, Jerome Weller, was dealing with these very accusations from the devil. And Luther wrote a letter to him, and he said this, When the devil attacks and torments us, we must completely set aside the Ten Commandments. When the devil throws our sins to us and declares that we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak thus. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. For I know one who has suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I shall be also. And so, dear saints, it is also with you. The devil comes in your midst of your crosses and your suffering, and he uses them against you. He tries to tell you that all you are is a sinner. And to that we say, so what? Because it is true that I'm a sinner, but God has no longer sentenced me according to my sin, 
but rather God sentences me according to the life of Christ. The sentence for sin has already been carried out upon a hill called Golgotha. And because of that, God is fresh out of death sentences to a lot for sin. Since God is in the business of giving sinners forgiveness, the more Satan tells you that you're a sinner, the more it reminds you that I'm forgiven. It is for this reason that Luther can say to his friend Jerome that you should rejoice in the temptation of the devil and that this temptation is more necessary than food and drink. For the devil would not be about the business of afflicting you with great pain and suffering if you weren't God's own children. Satan only attacks those who are loved by God. One man who was no stranger to great spiritual affliction is Lutheran pastor and hymn writer Paul Gerhardt. Paul Gerhardt suffered great, greatly in the midst of the Thirty Years' War, and as a pastor, he was removed from his office, not for anything he did wrong, but for defending the true gospel and refusing to compromise with false doctrine. And what's more than all of that is that Gerhardt lost his wife and four out of five of his children. Yet, in the midst of this great, great suffering, Gerhardt penned the words of the hymn we just sang this morning. Why should cross and trial grieve me? Christ is near, with his cheer, never will he leave me. Who can rob me of the heaven that God's Son for me won when his life was given? See, Gerhardt knew that God's favor or disfavor was not measured by the circumstances around him. He knew that the hardship he endured was not the marker that God was mad at him. Instead, Gerhardt knew that the measure of God's favor was found in the cross. That if Christ died and rose again from the dead, then it shows us that God loves us. Then no cross, struggle, temptation, hardship in this life can undo the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. If we know nothing else, we know that suffering just isn't quite right. We know that this just isn't the way things are supposed to be. And in the midst of this great suffering, we are faced with yet another temptation. If the devil can't drive us to despair for trying to convince us that our sins are a punishment from God, then he tries to convince you that God is the problem. If things just aren't right and your sins aren't responsible for it, then it must be God who is doing something wrong. If God were really merciful, how could he let such bad things happen? God says he saves, but where is your Savior in the midst of this suffering? Certainly, God is not great, the devil says. But where we see the greatness of God is not in the absence of suffering. 
Instead, where we see the greatness of God is in suffering. For God, in his splendor, laid aside his majesty simply to suffer. To suffer for you. It's there on the cross that we know that God loves us and is merciful to us. So don't look for God where suffering is not. Look for God where suffering is. On the cross, where we find God revealed. That means that you find what God thinks of you. Where you see your Lord and Savior scourged and bloody on the cross is the place where we know that God is so loving and so merciful. So loving and so merciful that he would give up fellowship with his own son to have fellowship with you. That is a God who is great. And so, dear saints, Jesus says to you this day, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are all slaves. We were born as slaves to sin and to the devil. And as slaves to sin, we wore a yoke of death upon us that was so, that was so cumbersome and heavy that it pinned us down and destroyed us. But in our baptism, we were freed from the slavery of sin and we were made slaves of Christ. And what does this yoke look like? This yoke looks like life in the struggles and sufferings of life. This yoke looks like when our bodies don't work the way they should. This yoke is like when there's too many bills and we not sure if we can pay them all off. This yoke is like when we are lonely for those whom we have lost. But the yoke that Christ gives us is a yoke that is light. Because the weight of this yoke has been placed upon the cross, the cross which he carried to that holy hill. And so Jesus says, come. You who are wearied and burdened, I will give you rest. And so, Christ certainly comes. He comes in a manger. He comes in glory. And he comes to you this day. In the hearing of the word, where he comes with promises. Promises of the forgiveness of sin. So that in our troubles and in our sufferings, God does not stand far off. Instead, he comes to us here in the midst of our suffering. But he comes with promises. Promises that all is forgiven and the suffering lasts but a little while. He promises that one day we will be with him in glory where the suffering is no more. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.